Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My guest today is Allie Harvey, outdoor columnist for the Anchorage Daily News. Allie grew up on the East Coast, but fell in love with Alaska at a young age when she first learned about the Aurora. As a teenager, she made her first visit to the state. She kept figuring out ways to return, and she was eventually able to move to Anchorage with an internship that became her first professional job with the Alaska Center for the Environment. Although her degree is in urban studies, she had also been writing and painting since a young age. Her blog about her adventures eventually led to an offer from the Anchorage Daily News, where she now writes a weekly column that explores connection between happiness and outdoor adventure. She is also a professional landscape artist and is about to start her next adventure in her new mobile art studio and gallery, an Airstream trailer that she will take on the road to the places she wants to paint. Um, Welcome to Outdoor Explorer, Allie. So good to be here, Lisa. Um, just kind of full disclosure, you and I have known each other for a long time. You've been a client of mine before, and you've you've written a little bit about me in one of your columns long ago. So I just want to put that out there that that's how I know you. Um, but also just I've also just watched your journey over the years here in Alaska, and I just find it so fascinating what you're doing. So we're going to talk about your very adventurous life. Ready for it. Okay, great. So let's kind of start with um, when you first got to Alaska and what brought you here. Yeah. um, So I grew up back east in a pretty squarely suburban Massachusetts in a town called Framingham. Um, And yeah, there were no mountains in Framingham. (laughs) It's pretty flat out there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. My big adventure on a Friday night was going down to the Barnes and Noble, right? Um, But I read The Golden Compass, which is this, you know, young adult novel um, by Philip Pullman. And it has a female protagonist and it takes place in the wild far north. And the book was full of really vivid descriptions of Aurora. Um, and so I was pretty taken with that book and around the same time as a teenager, I started, um, painting. So I was, um, exploring painting and art and, uh, actually funny, same Barnes and Noble that I would go to on a, um, Friday night. Uh, I ended up having a gallery showing there where I did not want to sell these paintings that I had been doing as a teenager. Right. Um, and my art mentor's advice to me when I did not want to sell these paintings, but the gallery asked me for the prices. She's like, well, just price them for above what you think they're worth. So I gave them prices above what I thought my, you know, 15 year old self thought they were worth and all of my paintings sold. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, I'm 15. I have my CBS or Starbucks or whatever job. And I have all of this extra income that I hadn't banked on. And I could do the responsible thing, which would have been to buy a new car or put it towards school or something, or I could go find the Northern Lights, which is how kind of amazingly my parents okayed me. And this was before the time of cell phones or anything, designing a trip to take my butt up to Alaska to visit. Uh, And I went first to Juneau um, and was just absolutely struck by even just getting off the plane, the fresh air. Um, Okay. Wait, were you, you were by yourself? I went with a friend. So I found okay. a friend whose, whose family was willing to support him in doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we came up with an itinerary together 
went with him, but we were both like, I think he was 17 and I was 16 by the time of our trip. I thought I was entitled to it at the time. I was like, of course our parents will let us go. Yeah. Now in respect, and I thought it was so onerous, the pro- like the process they made us go through of coming up with these itineraries of where we would be and what the phone number was. God, yeah. you know, like how overbearing of that. <laughs> but no, we went together um, and landed in Juneau and I, I fell in love. Um, really quickly. And so it kind of, it got under my skin. I also did not see the Northern Lights that first time. So I had to obviously come back a couple years later, again, on my own dime, just coming around, taking the Alaska Marine Highway around. And then in college, I got an internship opportunity um, to work with a conservation organization in Alaska for a summer. And I didn't want to take it because I knew if I came back up to the state for a third time, I'd stay. Mm-hmm. And it's so far away from Massachusetts. And I just had this nagging feeling, but the college professor really pushed me to take it. I took it. And within a week of landing, I was on the phone with my folks back in Framingham saying, sorry, I love oh, it. Wow. I'm moving here. Anything I have to do to get here, I'm doing it. And I did. And, and how did your parents feel about that? I mean, rightfully so. They said things like, you're in the phase of life where you're going to put down roots. You're going to meet somebody like it, this is a pretty formative time for you. Um, they I've been pretty headstrong and independent since I was a kid. So there's not much they could say to dissuade me, but I think they were realistic about it. And it, it turns out it's funny in their years on me, they were right. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of interesting because this is um, a little bit of a generational thing. I think, I think, are you a millennial or a Gen X? I want to say I'm a Gen X, but yeah. here it is. I'm an elder millennial who really yeah, okay. and appreciates the Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a cusper. <laughs> exactly. I remember before the internet, but I am an elder millennial, but yes, okay. I say that I'm a generational thing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess there was some of that going on where kids were just kind of picking up and traveling. And, and I got to say, I'm an older Gen X. So I, I mean, I did it, you know, just traveled for a couple of years, but you really see this now, like you have a, a Gen Zer, I have a Gen Zer, like they are not putting down roots. They don't want to get married. They want to go see the world before the world is over is how they feel. I think. Absolutely. It's so interesting. It's, um, my stepdaughter, Risa is now 19. Uh, I've known her since she was eight and uh, she, she's cautious. I think she's actually looked at our generation and I mean, we can, I can try to make sweeping generalizations based on Risa's experience, but right. just based on my conversations with her, I think she's a lot more wary of taking on things like student debt because she's seen what that's done to our generation. She's growing up with climate change and wildfires and where she's going to school um, in Reno, Nevada, you know, having to endure that in her first semester. And so it's interesting. I think she, she is more hyper aware of the world in ways that I was not when I was her age. Um, And often, frankly, puts me to shame just in her astuteness. I mean, it's her, it's the sea in which she swims, right? She's just kind of grown up with this, with the internet and with tickety talk and all of like, all of this information. And I also, I mean, I'm very biased, but I think she's a pretty remarkably smart young woman. Um, and I think with all of that awareness comes a, uh, a sense of sometimes, how do I want to say it? Um, 
wariness that yeah. I also didn't carry at her age that sometimes I want to take from her. But then I'm like, yeah, I think your picture's accurate. Now let's yeah. just figure out how to help you and everybody in your generation also lead the mm-hmm. happy and meaningful life that you deserve within this crazy world that we live in right now. Yeah. Cause that generation is definitely struggling with that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're not, not generally a very happy generation. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame them. I don't yeah. blame them. So um, when you came up for that internship, you were around that age, right? 21, 22 years old. Yeah. How old is I? I must've been 20. Yeah. 2021. You're right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, so after the internship, you, you told your parents or during the internship, you told your parents, I think I'm going to stay here. Yep. Yep. And, and I still, and then what did you do? <laughs> well, so I still had a couple semesters of college left, unfortunately. Uh, so what I did, I was going to school in New York city, which is, you know, this was a time in my life where I was picking between living in the middle of absolutely everything, which is obviously Manhattan and New York city or quote the middle of nowhere, which is better represented by Alaska. <laughs> yeah. It's just, so, they're so different. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I love both of them. The place I craved the most during the heart of being trapped inside during 2020 was New York. I'd have dreams about it. Um, which is funny because it's the polar opposite about how I felt about it at that time when I had had that final taste of Alaska, I was ready to move up here, but I had to do this college thing. So what I did, uh, and this was the same, this was 2008. So I remember, all of the hullabaloo around Obama getting elected as president was happening at the same time as I was convincing my school, my college, I went to the new school, uh, New York City. I was convincing them to let me earn my final credits towards my urban environmentalism degree while in Alaska with basically what was an extension of the internship. Um, So, right, the whole city was like cheering for Obama as I was reading the email that was my ticket back to Alaska. And I remember those final weeks of living in Brooklyn, I would just be like going on my long walks or runs and I would be looking across the water to New Jersey and just like wishing it was the Chugach range. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was real. I was, my heart was somewhere else at that point. Um, and so I booked a ticket. It was the cheapest ticket I could find on Christmas day flew from LaGuardia to Anchorage and landed in the snow and didn't buy a car. I don't think for that whole first year I was here, but I got myself a bike that I called Old Bones. It was a hundred dollar beater bike with a very wide grandma seat. And I got set of tires for that bike. And then I eventually got myself a pair of skis and just like made the most of Anchorage's amazing trail system that first winter and was absolutely in awe. You know, I remember feeling in awe of Northern Lights Boulevard. Cause first of all, it's named after my beloved Northern Lights. And second of all, look, it's still dark. It's 10 AM. That's so wild. We're so <laughs> look at all the snow. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. And now I drive that I'm like, Okay. Yeah. I'm on Northern Lights, whatever, but I was yeah, just, exactly. So, such awe and gratitude as a young person can't like having not believed that I made that big move. I think a lot of us who were born and raised here, or at least grew up here, you know, I mean, we don't realize that awe people have about our state until they come here. And I remember my brother bringing a girlfriend back in a college girlfriend. So this would have been in the eighties and she was from, I think she was from California because he went to college in California 
And she was just like blown away by Anchorage in the eighties, which like, let me tell you, Anchorage now is much different than it was in the (laughs) eighties, you know, but the wildness is the same, you know, and she was just so overwhelmed by the state. And it kind of gave both me and my brother a a new set of eyes to look through and appreciate where we grew up. Cause we always kind of thought we were a little bit podunk or whatever, you know, (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why it's so great to have visitors. Mm -hmm. I think they really do help us see the state with fresh eyes. And I mean, it's great to help people come experience this basically like farthest corner of the United States that you can visit while still being in the country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that awe. So you were complete because I, it's funny. I just had a story pitched about bike commuting in um, Anchorage and you were bike commuting and, and ski commuting that whole first year. And walking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just bundle myself up and go. And it meant that my world was a little bit small. Like I had to get creative if I wanted to get to place, like, I don't know, the mountains. Yeah, right. But it also, again, that kind of urban wilderness trail system that's so unique to Anchorage. I was very much taken by that for that time. It was still me pinching myself every day that mm-hmm. I... I felt like I was getting away with something like I'm going to work or I will be a working person, but little does anybody know that I'm the superhero beforehand and after, yeah. after experience, <laughs> like amazing, like groomed, you know, the Nordic ski association, like ski trails. What? Like who All the way through here? town. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And then it got old after a while I stopped. Yeah. I would, I remember I loved swimming. And so I would take the 36 people mover bus to go out to APU to swim in the saltwater pool out there. And after I think my second time missing the bus, my error, not the people movers error, I was like, you know, it would be easier to drive a car there. (laughs) Is that when you broke down and got a car? (laughs) Around that time. Yeah. (laughs) So where were you working when you first came here? This was the internship that was like extended basically, right? Yep. I was working at then Alaska Center for the Environment and now the Alaska Center. Um, and it was my first big kid job. I had the internship, which then segued into a permanent position with them, which was at the time Sustainable Communities Coordinator, which, as I said, my degree was in urban studies with a focus in sustainability. And so, again, I felt like I had achieved the dream it was like I get to stay here and help Anchorage advocate to be even better at these things that I see it doing pretty well in my experience at the time. So, you know, advocating for things like walkability, bike ped, transit, um, local food at the time. And it meant me getting to connect with ACES membership and reach out to new audiences and kind of connect those dots and help. um, Yeah. Put the pieces together and it, For me, right, that tie, which very much threads through everything that I love to do, it was about me having found meaning and a sense of place, even and especially living somewhere like New York City. You know, I I kind of stumbled into the urban studies degree because I found this class called urban environmentalism, and I thought that that was a contradiction in terms. And I took it, and it made me realize how deep each of the neighborhoods in that city go and how connected people actually really are there to their sense of place and how much they care about it. And for me, that really resonated deeply with my emerging sense of place that was about 
New York City. It was about my emerging love of the mountains and hiking and being outdoors. And that gave me such a strong feeling of purpose that I wanted to help other people find that purpose. And so I've done that in various stages of my career. And I think at that point through that advocacy position with Alaska Center for the Environment, it was very much about helping figure out and identify and then foster those connections that each of us have to place so that we can care for those places and make those places better and therefore make us better and enrich our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, the, a lot of those themes are what run through your Anchorage Daily News column. And so when did that all come to be? Like, um, you, you don't have a degree in journalism or English or anything like that, but you, you are a beautiful writer. And I really, like, I read your columns and really like, oh yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. And so how did that all happen? I appreciate that. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. yeah, It's so funny. I sit here where we're talking, right. And I write the column. I'm like, now I send it to my editor and it's out there in the universe. And so it's lovely to hear feedback. (laughs) No, I really identify with a lot of what you write and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it's really changed my focus over the last two years too, two or three years. Yeah. So can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Where did I come from? That's a good question. So I Similar to how I pursued um, painting as a young person, I I was writing, I was just creating and writing since I've been really young. It's just been kind of a, it's been an aha for me recently. Oh, you're a quote creative, which I uh, chafe at that brand, you know, um, uh-huh. label, but at the same time, like, right, that is something that I just kind of naturally do. And I, so this all ties back into the story, right? So I had come up to Alaska loved it up here, found my first professional job, big girl job with uh, ACE. And through working in conservation, I went to my first big kid conference, uh, which was out of state, which is a very fun thing when you're like young professional, right? Like, oh, you people care enough about my work to fly me to a place to learn things and then bring it back. That's thrilling. So I, that feels so good. (laughs) Yeah. So I, um, I flew to Reno, Nevada. The conference was right off of Lake Tahoe. It was put on by Patagonia as a Patagonia grassroots tools conference. They put it on for their grantees every other year, um, to skill build and network. And I showed up at that conference thinking that, I mean, that's nice that there's other people from other places that they'd flown in from across the country, but really like, could any of them hold a candle to Alaska? Like I was coming from Alaska. Right. Right. (laughs) I was so full of Alaska and so, oh God. Um, And I showed up at this conference and heard this attractive dude from Reno talking about Nevada in great detail and talking about the things he loved about Nevada. And at the time I called it Nevada because I'm from Massachusetts (laughs) and I knew it as being a nuclear waste, you know, test site, gambling casinos, uh, area 51. Like that's what I knew about Nevada. But you didn't think about Lake Tahoe when you thought about Nevada. That's so funny. Yeah. Cause I think most of us on the West coast think of Lake Tahoe. Exactly. Nope. Nope. Had no concept of it, but quickly got a concept of it. I heard him talking at great length about, right. Like Nevada actually has like, um, I guess the highest percentage of public lands outside of Alaska. And he's talking about the biggest national forest outside of the Tongass that's down and all of these things. I'm like, and I'm getting humbled and I'm listening to him. And as I mentioned, he was hot. And so <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> you know where 
we, um, we ended up staying in touch after that conference and not just in any way I found out that he had had a German pen pal in high school and he found out that I had lived in Switzerland for a bit um again on kind of an internship thing and so I knew a little bit of Swiss German so we struck up a German pen pal letter exchange oh wow yeah I, I <laughs> got crazy. a letter isn't it I got a letter yeah. from him. I didn't think I'd hear from him but I got a letter from him a month after that conference and we wrote back and forth in German for a year. And then the letters started becoming more and more in English and uh-huh. less and less in German. And you know where this lead, like eventually he came up to Alaska to visit. We officially fell in love. And he his daughter was eight and mm-hmm. mom lived in Reno. And so it was a matter of if somebody wanted, if we wanted to pursue the relationship, somebody was going to have to move. And so I got very ready to pick up everything and move for 10 years at least to Reno, Nevada. I mean, obviously that changed, some custody stuff changed down the line. We ended up coming back to Alaska, long story, but you asked how the writing got involved. I was making such a big, bold life move at that point, right? Like up and quitting that big girl job, Mm -hmm. upending and going to Reno, Nevada, where my plan was to Woof, which worldwide organic opportunities on farms where you get free room and board for farming. I don't know how to farm, but it was a place to get a free room and board to that part time and then work in retail for true love, like Mm -hmm. pretty big, bold move. And if this panned out, I was going to end up becoming a step parent. So I think I felt that I had to have, and I wouldn't have articulated it this way at the time, but I think I felt I needed some kind of like a artistic endeavor to make sure that this bold life move was supported by something more than just this whim of a dude that I was going down to be with. So <laughs> I started a blog called Smart Alley, which was tongue in cheek. Cause I was like, who does this, right? Like quits their job, moves to the state, does all this stuff. And I started keeping a daily blog. And I think it was for at least three years daily blogging the experience, just little anecdotes and sharing funny stories, which there were plenty. Cause again, I was woofing and I was not a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we ultimately a few years later ended up being in a position to move back up to Alaska, uh, an editor at the Anchorage daily news picked up on my blog. Oh, wow. Was that proud. was just like a kind of a random thing. Somebody well, was googling like outdoor stuff or whatever and your name popped up my friend referred her right okay. so there was definitely the alaska like a uh, friend, connections like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely looking for an outdoor writer check out this person's work i think she'd be a strong candidate for it but i had receipts because i'd been keeping this blog for three years so yeah that's how then i was kind of interviewed for it um i think did some sample stuff and that's how it started and that was oh, in 2013 wow yeah and that means that's that almost 10 years ago. <laughs> almost every week I publish three times a month. So I, yeah, sometimes that's I what I, I got to say. That's what I admire more than anything on the ADN columnist is how you all can come up with ideas, like three ideas a month, because, you know, it's tough doing this show and coming up with new and fresh ideas, you know? So I'm really in awe of being able to write like that. I mean, I appreciate it. And though I will say like, I frequently have to search my columns keywords to be like, did I already write about this? Oh yeah. 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 I can't do that again. Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> or maybe you find some little offshoot in the column you can pursue. That's what I do with these shows quite a bit. So yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> totally, totally. You are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. We are going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll hear more from Allie Harvey, outdoor columnist for the Anchorage Daily News. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes Store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My conversation with Allie Harvey, outdoor columnist for the Anchorage Daily News, continues. You know, traditionally in Alaska, I think this is changing, but traditionally it's been women who have followed men to Alaska. But you broke that. You made the man follow you here. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. I can't yeah. wait for my husband to hear this interview yeah. and realize that himself. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because like my mom followed my dad up here, you know, he, they got married and she, and he said, we're going to Alaska, you know, and, and, and through, I think this, you know, from early on our families, of course, came here and settled Alaska or and the people obviously who were already here, but, um, then the, the other people who followed, who weren't, you know, native Alaskans, it was usually like a woman following a man. And, um, I think though, I've heard more and more stories about men following women up here. So I like that change. (laughs) Yeah. And then a lot of times I think people follow kind of a fling or something, and then they, the fling ends up kind of burning out, but they end up staying here. They stay. Yeah. I myself have followed men out of Alaska, but I've always returned <laughs> without the man. <laughs> Alaska's the enduring relationship. It is the enduring relationship for sure. <laughs> I left Telluride, Alaska. I left Telluride, Colorado to come to a, back to Alaska in the early nineties. Cause Alaska was where my heart was and Telluride is gorgeous, but it was like, uh, nope, I need to go back home. <laughs> I get that, but man, that's a bold move, but Alaska gets under your skin. I totally understand that. Yep. It really does. So, um, so your columns in, and I'll start this with, um, you know, going back to why, um, I have felt such a connection to your columns through, through the years. And especially in the last couple of years, because I've made this big life shift away from being a highly competitive age group, um, athlete. Um, to just wanting to walk my dog. <laughs> and a lot of your columns are I, I, the one thing that stuck with me and really, this was maybe about a year ago, you wrote this column and you said you were trained. Maybe it was when you were training for Equinox. So it might've been within the last year or something, but you said you had this realization that it wasn't really about the training. It was just about being outdoors. And that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. I just want to be outdoors. I want to garden. I want to walk my dog. I want to do all those things. And I think your columns really hit that. That's really good to hear. Yeah, I, I have a few responses to that. Um, I personally still can't believe that I do some of the quote athletic things that I do. So I do bring that perennial sense of newness Mm -hmm. because I grew up chronically asthmatic. Like I 
was very unable for a very long time. And so I still have that sense of like, every time I'm stepping up a mountain, I'm like, did you see that I did that? Like I have, I have taken the first step. This is amazing. Did you know bodies can do that? So I think that's a piece of it. Um, and then I think the more that I have proven to myself over and over, yes, Allie, you can take that step up the mountain. You can do the next step too. And if you put yourself on a training plan, for instance, which you mentioned before, that's how we've known each other before is you helped me design several training plans for races, which were great. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they help you do little things to get you to big places. And I, now I know that, like I have muscle memory for that. I have confidence that even if it feels unbelievable, if I want to do a big physical goal, I can figure out a plan to help me get that. And so now that that competition with myself has run and I, it's a kind of known quantity, um, what's left and what's left is that I love having the capability and also just the very simple joys afforded by being alive and being outside and being able to have awareness. And I think those moments don't always strike. Um, it's a matter of how many hours and how much time I can put into being outside to kind of welcome the opportunity. But I think particularly during these times, where I am definitely craving joy and connection and a deep sense of place and just happiness. I think those fleeting moments of the sun hitting just right or the plants in the garden being really beautiful or it's so cheesy, but like I remember mid pandemic looking out at my lawn um, at the dew in the morning and seeing how it sparkles different colors and marveling at that because it was what I was staring at for a year because it was in my house. But having that awareness and just being outside enough to have the opportunity to have those moments feels um, profoundly needed. I crave it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty elemental for anybody, but particularly for Alaskans who choose to live in what is objectively a fairly brutal environment but we do it for a reason. And I don't think it's just because we want to prove how, I don't think it's because we want to prove how tough we are. I think it's because of how brutal, but also extraordinarily beautiful it is. Whether that's something you're seeing from behind your windshield or something you're adventuring up uh, into the hills to experience. And so I try, I try in my columns and writing and also in my art to foster that sense and share that sense of connection that I have, because I truly want other people to experience it too. I marvel that I'm able to experience it. And I want to bring that awareness to other people too. And in the spirit of each of us living the most full and rich lives we possibly can. Do you think um, part of the appeal, you kind of hit on this a little bit um, to us is that it is the hardness that makes it so beautiful. It's like we, it, it, there is that little bit of element of like, we have to overcome a lot of hardness and, and you know, I just came back from a trip to Hawaii, which I love Hawaii, but it's so easy there. <laughs> and it's just not easy here, you know? <laughs> you know, I, yeah. So are we all kind of masochistic? <laughs> yeah, I know. There's just something about the hardness. And, um, I have a dear friend who lived in Hawaii and Alaska, and she pointed out even the native people, the, the sounds of their music 
is really tells you about the environment, like the Hawaiian, you know, sounds of uh, when there's hula dancing and stuff and their music is very soft and just, you know, makes you feel kind of like, feels so good. And then native Alaskans, it's just really hard, hard music, hard drumming. And, you know, and I thought that's just, she thought about that, like 40 years ago, she was saying that, you know, like it just explains the two environments. Yeah. They're the music of the native people. So fascinating. Right. I, um, I do think a lot about how, I mean, I think I've written about this too. Alaska can present kind of like a bad relationship where it's like, I'm going to rain on you all winter and all February, but come July, here's some flowers, honey. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that column. It's true. I identified with that for sure. We're an abusive relationship, aren't we? (laughs) Emotionally abusive. (laughs) Um, another kind of, uh, theme, I think have running through, which you touched on this a little bit, because like for you, like that first step up the mountain is epic, but it's like, we need to identify what's epic to us. What's epic worthy to us. And it doesn't mean like, you know, being in the back country for five days, surrounded by an electric fence, cause the bears are going to come into your camp. It might mean just like getting up lazy mountain, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Getting up the butte for some people is epic. For sure. Going for a walk kind of back to what we were talking about with visitors Mm -hmm. and how wonderful it is to have visitors to Alaska because they help us see the place with fresh eyes. I had a friend visit and we're just walking in my neighborhood and she's taking pictures. Like, what are you seeing a picture of? There's a mountain and like behind my neighbor's house. I was almost self-conscious. Like if the neighbor sees you, what are they going to think? Right. We're in the butte. I don't. Yeah. Um, They're going to come out with their gun wondering why you're taking a picture of their house. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think um, I, again, having personally really been in a place where I was so physically uh, such a starter and such a newbie, I was really, really lucky at that point to have mentors and people I could look up to who really helped me take those first steps up my truly very first mountains in New Hampshire's White Mountains. And I remember that really vividly. And I am very grateful for those people who were and continue to be in my life. I still have people who I'm kind of trotting at their heels and admiring what they're doing. And um, they're going a little bit harder and faster and higher than I can. And I think the trick is admiring them and seeing the elements of what they're putting in and also not competing with them necessarily or comparing myself to them. Because I think there's different ability levels, there's different desire levels. And one thing I was really intimidated by, and to some degree continue to be, um, was the, that kind of competitive environment of outdoorsiness with the Strava-ing and the timing. Like I, I admire it. Um, I think it's a way to be, but it's not the only way to be. And so I, whatever that meaningful and challenging way is for one individual and whatever way they're capable, right? Because access is a big issue mm-hmm. to experience the outdoors is I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Don't compare it to mine. Don't compare it to yours. Just do your own thing and enjoy it and hopefully strip it of that uh, really noxious comparative tendency mm-hmm. that I think is what can undercut or otherwise really positive experience. Mm-hmm. The, and 
also what I like is that you're, you are willing to try these new things that may feel very epic to a lot of people. I'm thinking about your pack rafting column like that. <laughs> I'm getting the reaction here. Tell me about the pack rafting column. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have an amazing friend who lives part-time in Washington, DC and part-time in Haynes. I always tell Risa, my stepdaughter that one can grow up to have a life like that. Um, and she honored me by inviting me to her bachelorette party, which was in the Arctic National Wildlife <laughs> Refuge and was a pack rafting trip. I have never pack rafted before. <laughs> I do not, I do not necessarily recommend what I did, right? Like that's my disclaimer is. I don't necessarily think this was the most responsible move, but I did take the very responsible move of learning how to pack raft prior to going on the trip. So I got that going for me, right? Just like a month before I had to go to the Arctic refuge. This was a, again, this was a bachelorette party. Yeah. Who does that? I know. Like, how did you get the strippers there? <laughs> oh, we were, we were, yeah. I mean, we uh, a lot can happen with like fold up plastic and pin the you know what on the pin. You know, you okay, yep, yep. I'm familiar Sorry. with that one. <laughs> we're innovative. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, um, I, I mean, if if I had, if I had been really scared and if I had felt like I was not developing those skills or kind of up for it, I would have bailed on the trip. First of mm -hmm. all, I mean, just to say that in all seriousness. But I had a friend who again, with these friends and mentors and people who are ahead of me in various ways in life, right? Like admire and also I'm very grateful for the gifts of time and guidance they've given me. And I try to pay that forward. And this friend took me out in um, Denali, near Denali National Park. Uh, and we went on kind of a demo trip together. And I went in the water for the first time. And I, I loved pack rafting. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just going to be a float. Like that was my impression of like, Oh, we'll be on the bachelorette party. We'll float down the river, but no, it's a lot of arm and core strength. Um, a lot of endurance required. I was spent by the end um, of that first demo day. And then certainly by the end of each day when we were in the refuge, but being able to one, I just really enjoyed the maneuverability of the boats and kind of learning that skill for myself. And I felt strong at it. Uh, and then I also loved the experience of getting to experience a river from its very start to its near finish. I'd never seen a landscape or a waterway like that before. And I mean, particularly in a place as wild and remote as the refuge where there's no trails, it's caribou trails, game trails out there. Uh, the freedom of getting to kind of pull out and make camp for a night and spot a bear before it runs away because it doesn't know what we are and it's yeah. the air besides it wants to get out of there. It's just, that's good. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 That's the experience you want to have exactly the yep. bear side we wanted to have. So yep. um, yeah, it's humbling uh, and it's, it's humbling to learn how to pack craft uh, and it's humbling to be in a place in an environment that is as intact and enormous as the, refuges and humbling to be there with this bachelorette and the band of gals that, you know, we never really spend time, but together before. So like figuring out how to navigate that together, that's also humbling is to kind of be in that situation, which like, I kind of joked was this, uh, horrible team building exercise at times, right? Like if you want to like team build with a group of women, like toss yourself in the middle of literally a life and death situation and start to make choices. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> 
I think this whole, like, you know, the national movement to get more women and people of color into the outdoors and things like that, really Alaska needs to serve as, as the example of how it's done in its, and it's grassroots. But, um, up here, I think we have this amazing array of women who are out. I mean, when you, when you go hike up to rabbit Lake, for instance, you pass way more women than you do men. You pass single women by themselves doing it. Rarely pass a single man doing it by himself. You pass groups of women. If you pass men, they're usually with a woman, you know, I mean, it, it is pretty amazing that Alaska has these huge experiences that I don't know if any other state has seen it with women yet. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, talk about, you know, you mentioned people of color and thinking about diversity with Anchorage having, you know, the most languages spoken in any school district anywhere else in the country. Some of my place, favorite places to go are just Westchester Lagoon on a sunny Sunday or the Butte in my backyard. And you go there and I love seeing people who have visibly different skin color than I do or visibly different attire that they're wearing. Maybe it's like the camo, it's definitely not Patagucci and it just families, you know, it, um, young, old, it just makes me so happy to see these hot spots and other spots, right. That just draw people that may have just like totally different life experiences than me and are certainly not in my kind of like Patagucci outdoor cohort mm-hmm. or maybe are and are breaking into that, which has been a predominantly, uh, you know, a uh, pretty white space. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there is that opportunity in Alaska kind of combined with, I think a lot of the different populations who are here, a couple that with the amazing outdoors access. Mm-hmm. It really adds to the beauty of Alaska. I'm just so proud of this state for being so welcoming to so many people. I mean, and trying to share our love of the state, you know, so yeah. it's yep. pretty cool. Yes, it really does. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have to talk about a recent column. That <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, and I really want to get to your painting and everything. And, um, so, but, so we'll talk about this and then we got to get to the painting. Um, but I think that this column has generated more interest from people than maybe any other column you've done. I don't know, but that is your recent column that you did about dog ownership <laughs> and I'm a dog owner. And, um, but I agreed with everything you said, even though I let my dog off leash sometimes, and maybe she's not the best behaved, but no, she's pretty well behaved now because she's old, but, um, but anyway, so like for people who don't know about this column, this just came out like a couple of weeks ago, your columns are published on what day of the week? Are they always the same day? I think they're typically Saturdays. Yeah. Saturdays. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no Saturday. So it's Sunday actually. All right. No Saturday ADN, but it, it, they, they post them on Saturday, but they're published in the paper on Sunday. Yep. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So yes, it came out on a Sunday, a couple of weeks ago. And I like that you baited me into talking to me. I was like, we'll get to your paintings, but first you got yeah, to talk about the dogs. Exactly. Column. We have to talk about this because you can't mess with Alaskans and their dogs. Right. I mean, you've Which learned that, right? Told me. I was talking, I was, after the column was published, I mentioned to a colleague, I work, um, I'm a consultant also, and I work with the firm information insights out of Fairbanks. And I was on the phone with a fellow consultant. And I told her about the column just on a personal note. And she said, Allie, you can't do that. That's a political act in Alaska. People exactly. and their dogs. It is. It is. 
and dogs should have freedom just like everybody else. (laughs) And you know, yes. And so I wrote that column in 15 minutes in full disclosure. I have been thinking about it for a long time, but I've held off on not writing it because I knew it's a pretty third rail topic. And, but I reached a fed up moment um, where I just had a series of bad interactions from running in my neighborhood and being chased by dogs down the street at my heels, barking pretty aggressively. That's scary because dogs have killed people running before. So scary. And I'm allergic. I should say I'm allergic to dogs. So that's the other piece, right? Like I'm coming from a place of, unfortunately, I have this stupid allergy and my lungs freeze up if I spend too much time indoors with dogs or cats or anything. And so I unfortunately get to experience a lot of the worst parts of dogs and not a lot of the best. And so that's my disclaimer where like, I'm not coming from a place of, oh, dogs, they're in my life too, but come on. So that that's part of it. And that's part of the fear from getting bit is that I don't know how my body would react to that. Um, so that was thing number one. Thing number two is I was driving down the old Glen in the early morning darkness and a dog was just zigzagging its way across the old Glen, scared the crap out of me. I swerved into another lane and snow. I luckily swerved back and then a car passed me and then there was a school bus coming in opposing traffic. So I called Palmer PD to let them know, loose dog running in the zigzagging down the old Glen, like heads up. This is not, this is a traffic hazard and a hazard for the dog. Um, And then the third thing is that I was just hiking the Butte and there was a dog owner whose dog was again, lunging and growling and he's like he's friendly and I'm like hold on to your dog and it just took a while of me standing there and waiting for him because the dog was off leash waiting for him to get a purchase on his dog for me to feel safe passing and you know that and passing by all of the dog crap that's melting on lazy mountain I just my plea the, the thrust of the column is like listen we live in this amazing state that has so much available wild space. It is amazing. Like we are for the most part, not up in each other's business. And that's a quality of life that each of us value, but we still have shared spaces. We have trails, we have backcountry destinations that are heavily used. We have neighborhoods that we live in. We have our streets. And so given that for dog safety, for my safety, for everybody's health and well-being so that the trails don't get so fragrant and disgusting in the spring, but just please live and manage our dogs in such a way that just acknowledges that the golden rule that other people exist and treat others as they'd want to be treated. Um, But very controversial. Uh, I will say that I did not read any of the comments because I value my mental health. I had to do that for me. So I don't know what it said. I don't actually need to. Uh Yep. (laughs) I'm happy. I'm happy to have conversations in person with folks about stuff like that. But I think the veneer of social media and online makes it easier for people to say fairly bombastic things that they might not say to one another in person. And I certainly don't need to take any of that vitriol in and expose Mm -hmm. myself to it. So I know, I know from friends telling me, um, that I got a lot of texts and emails, et cetera. So I did get a lot of folks reach out to me about it. Um, but I know that this column apparently got more likes than the Sarah Palin having COVID and saying she'll get vaccinated with dead body. (laughs) That's an accolade. I'll put that on my resume. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I think, and now that we're kind of, you know, starting to see a glimmer that spring is going to be here in six or eight weeks. Um, the big thing for me has always been the dog poop thing. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why people don't clean up after their dogs. I don't understand when I see bags next to the trail or even worse. And this is just appalling to me. People tying their dog poop to trees. What is that? What is that? I just don't get that. It just drives me crazy. Fascinating. I have not seen that, but now I'll have to look for it. I think it must be, here's what I think it is. And I get this. I think, you know, I do things where I just think I'm, but like a, you know, drop in the ocean and here's my one little action and it won't harm anybody. And oops, I won't do that again. Or I tell myself, I'm not the type of person who would do X, Y, Z. And yet then I find myself being exactly the type of person who would do X, Y, Z. And so I wonder if it's like a kind of a habitual thing, like one leaves their dog poop on the side of the trail one time and tells yourself like, but I'm not the kind of person who does that. It's just this one time, Mm -hmm. but then the next time happens the next time. And like, before you know it, nine times out of 10, you actually are that person. I think it's kind of human nature. So like on that level, I get it. But again, when you have a critical mass of people who are telling themselves the same false story and tying their dog group crap to trees, like, that's where the problem hits. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. On one hand, it's, it's, it's such a public health issue too, especially in an area that has salmon streams. I mean, you know, when you're getting all, Oh, I saw some, some number about the ton of dog poop that is generated every year and a lot tons of dog poop in Alaska that doesn't get picked up in and how all that ends up getting into our water. You know, and we have the best water in the world. Why are we doing this? You know, pick up after your dogs. <laughs> Individual actions do actually make a difference. Yes, they do. This is yeah. one that makes a huge difference, I think, in so many ways. So that's our PSA. Pick up after your dog. Pick up after yeah. your dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's now we have to like quickly talk about your painting. Um uh so you you're a landscape painter. Um you have this, this beautiful style that is just wonderful. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm contemplating in my head, um, at some point asking for a commission from you. So <laughs> I almost have my house paid off. So then I'm going to have some extra money to do that. <laughs> That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, or it just means I've been like anchored down in Anchorage for a long time. Right. <laughs> so you had this, um, a rock and mortar uh, studio in Palmer. And, um, and then you kind of closed that like a year ago. Yeah. So I have been painting, as I said, right, since I was a teenager um, and always kind of done it haphazardly or kind of ad hoc different points in my life. And a few years ago, I made the decision that I really wanted to invest in my art and um, really grow it and develop a business and have a physical presence And so I opened up my very first art studio in downtown Palmer uh, in the Kozlowski building. So cute. It looked over the Palmer water tower. The light was great. It was such a cute space. I, you know, had several events up there and I would go up there. My um, Fridays are my dedicated day to paint. And so really, really cool. And then I don't know if you heard about COVID-19, that little. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard something about it. (laughs) And I. 
I stopped going into the building. I, um, you know, again, the underlying asthma before there was vaccine availability, I was just really high risk and was really unwilling to like, there's taking precautions against developing COVID. And then there's making sure you actually don't get COVID. And I was that latter category of full on grocery pickup, full on had the privilege to be able to work from home. I pulled my art studio stuff from my studio and wasn't going in there because there wasn't really uh, no masking, no filter, you know, all of that. So I just didn't feel safe um, being in there and using the public bathroom and all that. So that was part of it, but I kept on paying rent on it because at some point I was hoping I would go back. And then my family and I used that studio as a staging ground in June, 2022 or 2020 during the George Floyd protests. Mm. And there was a, a rally that happened in downtown Palmer. And so we made an exception and went downtown and made our posters uh, and went to the rally. And then afterwards I was like, you know, hmm, downtown Palmer, my windows look down downtown Palmer. I'll put Black Lives Matter posters up in the windows. Um, and a few months later, the landlord said that there was quote, no political signage allowed in downtown Palmer. Oh, wow. And so I had a choice. I could push back and say, it's not political signage, landlord, it's human rights signage. Mm -hmm. Or I could pull my money. Um, and I decided to do the latter, but write an op-ed about it. So it was published in the, um, in the Frontiersman. Um, and just make a statement, right? Like I'm a small business owner in Palmer. And if places like Palmer want to retain the business of people like me, come on folks, like this is a human rights statement. This is not, a, I don't think it's a, a <laughs> right. thing, anything that we don't know. Um, and so I, I did that, but then I was left with like the grief of having closed my studio, which was such a big milestone for me and the question of, okay, what's next? And it's in the middle of this pandemic and there's so many unknowns. And so I had this idea of what about if I had, and it was initially a COVID adaptation, right? Like how can I still meet people and, and share my art and get out there and paint? And I thought, what about a mobile art studio, like an RV or a camper? And so I started, I remember I was hiking with my husband at, um, government peak recreation area. We were hiking up government peak and we were talking about it. And then again, talking about it, like some social distance wine hour on a friend's porch that we were all doing throughout 2020. And the idea came of Airstream, which is, you know, this iconic, the iconic silver trailers from the sixties. Um, once you've seen one, you can't unsee it. You'll start seeing them everywhere. And I was really drawn to the Airstream idea because my art is very colorful. It's very vivid, a lot of landscapes and a lot of just, I try to bring out the color and the beauty and kind of quote everyday moments, which in Alaska, we're very lucky that our everyday moments are quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I try to do it other places too. And um, kind of, you know, featuring man-made things like street lamps or uh, buildings uh, just to, again, highlight the beauty in the everyday. And I loved the idea of the Airstream because it's a sleek, design with pretty minimalist and kind of modern curves and this, again, the silver. And I just thought that would be both a draw for people. Like you see an Airstream, you kind of want to go check it out. And then it would also be a great background for my art 
And then as a social distance measure, I was thinking at the time, I'd have an awning. And so I'd be able to set it up outside and kind of do social distanced events and actually get to go park it in the middle of the wild landscapes that I love to paint so much. And so that idea since then has really come into fruition. And I am in the final stages. I've put money down on the Airstream. I'm working with an amazing designer, Wooden Locks out of Richmond, Virginia, and PNS Trailer Service out of Ohio. They are designing a trailer, an Airstream trailer that's going to serve as my mobile art studio. I pick it up in May. I have to drive my truck down to Ohio. It's currently in the shop getting a hitch installed and all this. It's becoming very real and I am pinching myself. And many folks, and I'll call you out, yourself included, have been a part of making this possible. Like I have asked for contributions from folks to be like, listen, this is the dream. And I was overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. So through a combination of me literally scrapping and saving all of my personal savings, my husband, holy crap, like that. And then putting out the call to see if folks were willing to kind of help be a part of this thing. It's been so moving. And I pinch myself thinking that I'm getting ready to drive down the Alcan to pick up this thing that I think will change my life. Oh, it, I just thought it was such an innovative idea. I just loved it. I mean, and then I look at you and also um, Max Romy, who also is spending a lot of time outside creating, not just in a studio creating, but outside doing it. And um, I just, I think it just fits so well with our state. That's what we're about, you know? I love that. I love Max's work. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, so Allie, we could probably talk for another hour. I'm sure we could. And I think after you go and pick up the trailer and come back, and I assume you're going to stop along the way and do some painting and stuff that we will be able to fill another hour with your adventures back from Ohio. Right. <laughs> forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll chat again, like after the summer is over maybe, and, and then have another show so that everybody can hear about your great adventure with the mobile art gallery and studio. Would love to. And I so appreciate the time. This was wonderful. Oh yeah. It was fantastic catching up. Um, thanks so much for joining me today. Anytime. Thank you, Lisa. That's it for today's show. Thanks to my guest, Allie Harvey. You can find pictures of Allie as well as links to her art and ADN columns at alaskapublic.org. Watch for her columns in the Sunday edition of the Anchorage Daily News. The show is produced by Eric Bork. My name is Lisa Keller, and from all of our hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thanks for listening, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.